welcome to Talking Migration. I'm Clara Sandlind and Talking Migration is supported by the Department of Politics and the Migration Research Group at the University of Sheffield. This podcast naturally centres around the question of borders. But what are borders and should there be any? In this episode, I talked to Bridget Anderson, Professor of Migration, Mobilities and Citizenship at the School of Sociology, Politics and International Studies at the University of Bristol. Bridget Anderson is well known for her defence of no borders, as well as her 2013 book, Us and Them, The Dangerous Politics of Immigration Control. I asked her to start by outlining her case for no borders. First thing to say is that borders, as we understand them, are relatively recent construction. I mean, the global rollout of uh, nation states and the nation state system that kind of borders characterise really is um, uh, post-World War II, so post-decolonisation. Um, and my sort of my fundamental moral argument for no borders is obviously one of um, redistribution and equality. I mean, we live in a world of such grotesque inequality where... Uh, I don't know, I was looking at the, um, there's a website called the Global Rich List where you can put in your income and find out where you are in terms of um, average global, global average incomes. Um, And I'm in the top 0.8%. And if you have, if if you earn more than I think it's about $30,000 or £26,000, you're in the global 1%. I find that a really alarming statistic because obviously if you're earning $30,000 you're not actually that well off um, so I think there is a question of um, of justice and uh, global uh, redistribution and I think that really we're kind of trained to think that the threat <laughs> that that there is a threat from the global poor from Um, particularly from other countries and that's why we need to have borders and I think that um, no borders is basically a fundamental way of challenging those kinds of um, assumptions and more than that I think we have to think about when does sovereignty which is associated with the borders of states when does sovereignty matter and what we see is that actually when we're thinking about global capital and particularly global finance capital, sovereignty can suddenly disappear, only to reappear very strongly when we're looking at uh, people and mobility of people. So I think all of that tells us that there is something fundamentally troubling about borders and, um, and the ways in which they order our world. Mm. One one thing there that um, you just started uh, with is um, how we sort of think about borders and how borders are constructed. Uh, and one thing that you've um, written about is um, sort of how we are to understand borders and different kind of borders. So you talk about physical and metaphorical borders, kind of symbolic borders, and how these borders define who, like how we see ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think you could explain a bit um, what, what you mean by that and how you understand borders or how we ought to understand them? Well, I suppose so. Um, physical borders become metaphorical borders very quickly. So I think people kind of tend to think about um, physical borders as being marked by by um, mountains, seas, uh, rivers. 
But of course, most borders, most territorial borders are not marked by by those geographical features only. And in fact, when you have long land borders, border posts are only kind of dotted along those um, along those kind of land borders. So when do we see borders and when do we not see them? Um, they also move, but I think more importantly, borders also do move inwards. I mean, we've seen that a lot in, in the UK recently with the um, hostile environment. But... Um, because through the mechanism of immigration controls, um, people who are subject to those controls are subject to all sorts of restrictions. So um, depending on what their visa status is, they can't access certain services. They have to leave the the state by a certain period of time. They can only work in a, a certain job and so on. So I think we have to understand borders as moving inwards in that way and also then as exercising control over citizens. Again, I think we can see in the UK the ways that now everyone's passport has to be checked when they start a job in order to make sure that you're not the kind of person whose passport ought to be checked. Um, But more than this, um, uh, I was looking recently at social housing allocation policy. So under the Localism Act 2011, now local authorities have a great deal of control over the allocation of social housing. So each local authority is producing a social housing allocation policy. And believe it or not, they are actually quite interesting documents. Um, because what you can see is that um, uh, in many local authorities, there are concerns about migrants. and They use the term migrants, taking housing from locals, just coming to be by the sea, bringing criminality and so on and so forth. But that actually, when you look more closely, you see that the word migrant and migration is being used of everyone who moves into that local authority. That is, it also applies to UK citizens who are moving internally within the UK and who are looking for social housing. So I think what that shows us is that these borders, which are often represented as being there to um, protect the interests precisely of those who are uh, the most marginalised, who are claiming benefits or uh, looking for low-waged work, that actually the, the hostility to migration has a way of coming and biting you in the back. So I think kind of thinking about um, uh, borders in, in this way um, that is not only as being what we have at the um, at the edges of territory, but also as operating within territory and as affecting um, in, and, and as sometimes affecting citizens as well as migrants, helps us make connections and important connections between the struggles of um, marginalised citizens and migrants, because I think too often they're kind of postulated as basically competitors, competitors for the privileges of membership in a kind of zero-sum game. And I think particularly in the current political conjuncture, being able to make those connections is increasingly politically important. So do you mean that the way that um, states are trying to control migrants are in a way similar to how they try to control the poor or the Uh, underprivileged. Yes, and actually that they have their roots in the ways in which states control Mm. that. So, 
You know, um, in my work, I've looked at the history of vagrancy and the controls of the mobility on what we would now understand as the national poor as really being the origins of immigration controls. That basically this is fundamentally about the control of the mobility of those who are imagined as as poor. Yeah. And you also so if um, an additional way then to think about um, the borders is how they sort of um, define our identity uh, or help define our identity. But I wonder, do you think it's actually possible to even if there's a case of no borders, is there a uh, is it possible to even imagine that? Uh, to imagine having no sort of um, more of these symbolic borders, a way to um, to try to differentiate one group um, from another? Well, I think it's possible to imagine it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's important because I suppose, I think that, um, I think that what we decide is imaginable and non-imaginable, what's realistic and what's not realistic that actually, that's actually a fundamentally political question. So deciding, oh, well, this is just, you know, it's just not realistic. So we're not even going to think about it automatic. I mean, I think that is a political decision. And so I think we have to be very um, reflexive and um, cautious about when we decide that something is simply not realistic, and therefore not, not worth imagining so i mean it you know you can i can imagine you know a few hundred years ago the idea of of transgender being you know being sort of um recognized and accepted would be simply completely Mm. unimaginable um or even an end to slavery or you know there's all sorts of things which have in the past been unimaginable um but that actually now seem perfectly possible uh, even if they're not achieved. So I kind of think that, you know, we have to put borders in that and, and no borders within that bracket. Now, of course, you know, I don't think that we, I think that in a way it's also a way into um, lots of other questions. So I don't think that, you know, oh, let's abolish borders tomorrow and then everything will be fine. I mean, really, obviously it wouldn't be. Um, you know, we're living in a capitalist world. Actually, what would probably happen would be a horrible race to the bottom and an end, end to many of the sort of minimal welfare state protections that people currently have. So I think, you know, we have to think about this as p- part of a much broader anti-capitalist project, but also an anti-capitalist project that, as you say, recognises that there are lots of lines of distinction and differentiation uh, that are drawn, but you know, particularly around race, ethnicity, and, and gender. But I think you know the ways in which race and ethnicity map onto nation and therefore onto immigration controls is precisely where they get actually a lot of their purchase. I mean, you know, while while people sort of say, oh. Um, you know, it's just a coincidence that most people in detention centres are black. You know, I'm sorry, I don't really think that is the case. So there's, you know, there is a way in which these things work together. And it's important to both disentangle them and see how they kind of support each other. So actually, you know, the engagement of 
migration and sort of anti-deportation struggles with struggles against um, racism and prison industrial complex. You know, all of these, I think, are important connections to be making. And that I think thinking about no borders as a sort of as actually in practice as, as a kind of practical project as something that actually people in many ways some people anyway already do um, and celebrating that and learning from that and building on it is I think uh, really important so that's my rant about pragmatism over (laughs) (laughs) yeah no that's really interesting Um, actually you already mentioned now a few times the link to capitalism so I was going to ask you how uh, or, or why you think it's important to understand border controls in relation to capitalism well, because I suppose it has to be part of a capitalist project, I think. It's of an anti- so no borders can be part of a capitalist project. I mean, you know, they can be part of a, you know, well, we should all be free to move wherever we like and sell our labour at however low cost we want. And, um, and I think especially in a system where, you know, where ideas about race and ethnicity and gender are kind of so central to population division. So it's, it is important to say it's not just immigration status. And so we have to think of it as not, we have to think of no borders as a specifically anti-capitalist project that also makes connections between the situation of migrants and, as I say, other low-waged and marginalised people. So I think making those connections is really critical in terms of kind of solidarity and also some sort of radical redistribute, you know, radical redistribution. So I think when we, but I think that when we take no borders as a starting point, we can see that really, you know, borders are a means of sustaining this grotesque inequality, a kind of, um, as as I know some academics have argued, you know, it's a sort of one way of thinking of it is a form of feudalism that we are born into a kind of privileged status and that we have, if we want, and if we want to reject that kind of inequality and also become aware of how borders sustain it, we have only to imagine why is it that we don't, why is it that kind of no borders freaks out so many people? Well, I think because actually there's a concern about about resource and about sharing. And I think that that tells us something about people's experience of capitalism, that actually for many people, their experience of capitalism is not an experience of abundance, but it's actually an experience of scarcity. And that's true in the global rich world as well as the global poor world. But the problem is actually, you know, the problem is really the huge amount of money that's being siphoned off into tax havens, the sort of the fact that I can't remember the statistic, but, you know, eight people loan sort of half the world's wealth or whatever, you know, that's what that's what the problem is. And we mustn't get distracted by looking at people in Burkina Faso and sort of somehow thinking like, well, we don't want to share with them. So, but also I think if there is a concern about resource and resource depletion, which actually is a very old way, a very old way of dividing people. I mean, going back to, you know, going back to the kind of 
poor law of 1701. You know, the, the worry was that people from poor villages in England were going to come to villages where the commons and the common land was relatively wealthy and sort of set up their shacks on them. So this concern about resource and sharing has been used to divide people, I think, for a very long for a very long time. Um, but I think we have to recognise that actually capitalism and the kinds of um, capitalist relations that we're living in at the moment is is depleting resources, is depleting our ecological and environmental resources at a sort of terrifying rate. So the system itself is actually not sustainable. So I'm not sort of not saying that <laughs> that it is sustainable. And we have to think fundamentally about how we can kind of move away from it. And I think that No Borders helps us do that. So I think it, what it does is, you know, and I think in a way we see it in practice when we see, you know, people turning up at the borders of Europe, you know, you see bodies washing up on the shores of, you know, holiday beaches. And there's a horror about that and a sense of, well, why can't those people just stay in their villages where we don't see them die? Now we're having to see people die. We're having to see people destitute and begging on our streets. And that's bringing that's bringing those kind of um, uh, global inequalities and global relations and the consequences and the relations between us actually right to the forefront of our minds. And I think politically, that's actually a very, um, it's actually an important opportunity, actually. Mm. So you speak of no borders, but there are also some people talk about open borders. Uh, and I think you might, you might want to make a distinction and, and maybe that is that distinction what you just mentioned there at the start about a sort of um, a certain economic case for open borders versus the more political case that you're making? Yeah, partly. Um, I mean, obviously, if you think about borders in this broader sense, then open borders also becomes much more difficult. So I have to think, well, why do we why do we want borders? Um, so if we have an open border system, what is it about borders that we want to retain? And it seems to me that we want to retain something about redistribution. So, you know, people quite often, you know, will argue for the necessity of borders to have some kind of welfare state. Um, but as I've probably suggested, I think that that kind of redistribution has to be rethought and to be much more global mm. um, and also relations of rule. So I think that really no borders takes a position of much more fundamental critique of underlying ideas about our current political configuration and our ways of imagining ourselves and our relations to the world. And I think we are at a stage when we do need something kind of really quite fundamentally transformative. Um, and I don't think that open borders w does that for us. Yeah, so that brings me on to uh, the fi my final question, which is that I've, I've seen you argue that a politics for no borders is revolutionary, but not utopian. Um, mm. I, I think you've touched a bit upon this, but do you just want to elaborate that a bit? Yeah, well, I suppose it is really interesting because... Um, 
20 years ago, honestly, if you argued for no borders, you were really, like, really weird. <laughs> now I feel, you know, it's much more, imagine, I mean, it's much more kind of there as at least a possibility or at least something that we can talk about. So I think that's really, um, really exciting. And I do think that, I suppose, as I've said, that open, that no borders is kind of fundamentally transformative and I would say that the system that we already have is actually also either utopian or dystopian depending on which way you want to look at it but it's proved impossible to close borders so you know you look at all the um, the problem of statelessness um, the problems even of of distribution within even national welfare states but also the fact that capital doesn't know borders. Um, so actually, the kind of system we have is not really a system of closed borders at all. It's not a kind of national system, uh, a, a nation state system that is run in the way that kind of I think we tend to, it tends to be imagined that it's run. So I think that, you know, it's important to recognise that it's not simply a sort of question of fantasy, no borders versus the kind of pragmatic nation state system that we already have. The nation state system that we already have is actually, I think, um, a, a fantastic one, one that relies on um, on fantasy. So I suppose, as I say, it's it's important to think about the relation between pragmatism and and politics and also to kind of celebrate I think the ways in which people do make no borders a, a reality both um, you know both so-called migrants and I am kind of I'm hesitant to use that term actually because I think that that's one of the issues is the ways that that we structure our thinking in terms of migrants and citizen thereby in our very in the very ways we think about it, making that distinction, if you see what I mean. Yeah. Um, so I went to a, I was at a, a conversation in um, New York by the Sanctuary, I think they're called the New Sanctuary Coalition. And there they were talking about how they, um, they don't use the word migrant, they use the word friend. And actually it was really interesting listen to, um, listen to her talk using the word friend rather than migrant. And she was doing it very naturally because obviously this is just now how they talk about migration and talking about friends who are deported, friends who are detained. And for me, it was particularly interesting because I've often thought how it's interesting to think about the impossibility of having a friendship visa. Mm. So why is it that, you know, unless you're sleeping with your friend, why is it that I can't have, a visa to say, well, no, but this person is my friend and I want them to come. Um, and I think that also tells us something interesting about both about the, um, what's the word, the, um, uh, the subversion of friendship and of prioritising uh, friendship and the ways in which we sort of imagine our human relations as in these kind of hierarchies, which are then reinforced by borders. Um, but also, so as I say, so she was refusing to use the word 
migrant or she was preferring to use the word friend. And then um, a few weeks previously, I'd been in Athens where there was a group of um, of sort of activists who were really saying, you know, we don't want to be called refugees. We want to be called internationals. When people hear refugee, all they hear is either somebody that really needs help or somebody that's a problem. And we're neither of those things. So I think it's quite interesting because it suggests to me that actually on the ground, people are also rethinking the very terms that we're using to debate these issues. And I think there's important lessons to be learned from that and that it's an example of, I guess, no borders is practical politics. To find out more about the work of Professor Bridget Anderson, please visit our website talkingmigration.com. But that was all for this time. Thanks very much for listening.